1: Well, welcome to Dilly Ding, Dilly Dong, the Leicester Mercury's Leicester City podcast. I'm Rob Tanner. Joining me today is Jordan Blackwell. Hi, Jordan. Morning. Um, We're not previewing a game like we normally do because, uh, unfortunately, Leicester City are out of the FA Cup, so we've got a free weekend. But there's still plenty of stuff going on in and around the club for us uh, to uh, chat about today, Jordan. Um, Let's start with uh, finances. Wow, that's really exciting. (laughs) For all our uh, viewers at the moment and all our listeners on the podcast, um, yeah, we're going to go into a bit of financial mm. detail. Now, we've had two different sets of figures released uh, this week. UEFA released their stats for 2017. I know it takes a bit of time to get around to releasing those, which uh, paints a particularly bright picture for Leicester City. But bear in mind, this is in the, the wake of the title success in the Champions League quarter-final uh, run. I'll just give you the, the highlights. In terms of revenue... Leicester City were the 13th highest in Europe, uh, with a uh, year-on rise of £100 million, taking them to a total of €217 million, a growth of 58% and growth in local currency in the pound of 80%, which put them, I think it was the second fastest behind Leipzig, of uh, of growing revenues in uh, European football in 2017. And uh, 48% of that revenue went on wages. Their wages went up by 22% to €132, which made um, Leicester City the 18th uh, highest payers in Europe, ahead even of AC Milan. Now, um, you've had some stats that you've been pouring over this morning, a fun way to start the day, uh, because Deloitte, who um, are big players in this sort of stuff,
0: I've released some figures, haven't they? And what What's the the highlights of their latest? Yeah, figures? so they release released uh, their sort of uh, list of the highest revenue generating clubs uh, every year around this time every year. Um, and for the 2017-18 season, uh, Leicester are ranked 22nd in the world for generating revenue, which sounds extremely impressive. But it is down eight places on last year. Um, but obviously, last year for the 2016-17 uh, figures. That included Leicester City's Champions League run, which obviously they got a massive boost. Um, pretty much in those figures there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's, I think they've dropped. Um, in terms of the amount of revenue they've generated, obviously they've dropped eight places, but they've also dropped it's around seventy nine million pounds. Um, and so they're now the tenth highest uh, in the Premier League as well. They were seventh, but they've now been overtaken by uh, Everton, Newcastle, and West Ham. Um, Newcastle. Yes. Newcastle. That's surprising one. Yeah. Given Mike actually doesn't like spending spending any of it, but um, yeah, uh, Leicester have dropped down a little bit. They're just ahead of um, Southampton and Crystal Palace as well. So it's all fairly tight, but I think probably the big thing is that the big six have increased their wealth um, again. And the the sort of the gap, the the revenue gap between the top six and the other clubs is, um, is... getting wider all the time. So the haves and the have-nots. We're well, not really we're, we're not saying, really that saying have-nots, have-nots no. It's like to, <laughs> certainly that those, the rich
1: clubs. And that's all changed over the last few years, really. It really has been a... I mean, you could point it back to Leicester City's title success and how that mm. embarrassed the rich clubs. And they've all raised their game yeah. uh, since then, both on and off the, the field. So if we were doing a graph, we had a, we'd have a big spike at the Champions League then after the Premier League yeah. title success. And afterwards now it's all settling down in terms of Uh, Finances Now and of course Leicester City are about to embark on a pretty um, uh, large plan for the training ground and the stadium which is going to take a lot of financial commitment as well so I can imagine their their finances are not going to be that great for for the next few seasons as well, probably not see as many transfers made as well um, because of that money, that investment in the training ground and the stadium. Yeah I think
0: we've already seen a a little bit of a slowdown in terms of um, transfer expenditure. Um, I think I, I looked into it a, a couple of weeks ago, since Puel's been at the club, Leicester's mm. net transfer spend is the 17th of the 20 Premier League teams. Mm. Um, so I think it was, it was around £25 million. Obviously, they've got a lot of money for Marez and also Ahmed Musa. <laughs> Did and well re- with Musa, yeah, yeah, and recently uh, Ibora as well. Um, and Although they've spent a fair bit, they've, because they've recouped a, a lot of money, um, their net spend isn't as high as as other clubs around the league. So yes, we've seen a slowdown there. I think we can expect that to continue with the, the focus on the training ground.
1: Well, we're not expecting Leicester to bring in anybody in this transfer window, brings us neatly round to the transfer window. Mm-hmm. Um, Leicester City, I think uh, Claude Puel has said several times he's quite happy with uh, the squad he's got at the moment and he's just using this window um, to rejig it a little bit, rebalance yeah. it, as he says, and uh, we've already seen um, a couple of players... Uh, going out, uh, Fasini Di Barty's gone out, hasn't he? Johan Baller1's gone to Forest now. Uh, But there's been uh, a lot of speculation this week about a couple of his midfielders because uh, that was an area that he was going to be looking at. We saw Vicente Bora uh, go to Villarreal and um, we were expecting Adrian Silva and Andy King to be moving on in this January transfer window. Both of them seem to be surplus to requirements, not featured at all in recent weeks and King has only made one appearance uh, this season, we understand a number of Championship clubs are in uh, for Andy King. He's now assessing his options. Yep. Two of them we know are Nottingham Forest and West Bromwich Albion. So he's got a couple of um, big clubs there that yeah, are yeah. sniffing around him in Championship. So we're expecting him to go on. The other one, Adrian Silva. Now this seems to have been a completely complicated issue. Um, Silva wanted to move on. His family, uh, his father and agent Manuel, mm-hmm. came out publicly, didn't he, last week yeah. and said who um, accused Puel of disrespecting um, Adrian and saying they're trying to get him out to various clubs. There was interest in uh, France and Italy and Spain. But now, Puel, was blocking them, blocking that move. And we, we wondered why. And uh, there's been reports this week as well that Inter Milan were offered uh, silver by his representatives, not by the club. So it looks like his representatives are very, being very proactive in trying to get him to a new club. But we understand there might be a rethink on Silva's future at City because I don't think Evangente Bora uh, was one they initially thought would be moving out of the club in January but I don't think his family settled very well there's been a few issues and uh, there was an opportunity for a deal to be done yeah. with Viral. and what we understand £9 million, that's not a bad little deal for No, no, I think that's about.
0: obviously I think they, they paid £12 million pounds for him 18 months earlier so for a player 18 months older I, I think that's um, that's I think that's why I think they saw that opportunity. For a player that, OK, he played a little bit, but he didn't play a lot, Ebora. Um, and obviously Chowdhury had jumped ahead of him as well, you feel, in the, in the midfield pecking order. Um, so, yeah, I think that's why that kind of made sense to, for Leicester to do that deal then, rather than wait and Villarreal's offer maybe disappear in the summer or, or, or whatever.
1: Well, Ebora's departure has sort of um, left a gap in that midfield. I know he's got a number of options. For a ball-playing midfield player mm. now we've talked about how what sort of type of player Silver is in the past but he certainly doesn't fit into the bracket of Nididi, Mendy and Chowdhury being defensive athletic sort of midfield types he's more of a ball player himself isn't he neat and tidy not the, yeah. not the long range we haven't seen a long range of passing that we saw of Bora, but I think Silver could have
0: a rejuvenation another chance at City now I I can't say I think we would have seen it before now um, I think I I think I, w- I probably would like to see him given another opportunity um but given there's no FA cup there's not. I don't feel there's a, there are any really suitable games for him to do that I mean he's not been involved in the, even in the Premier League squad since September and that's a long time I don't know he played um, I think his last game was in the Carabao cup in uh against Southampton in, in November um so he's he's not played for some time he's not even been playing for the you know the 23s or anything like that um so I think it would be a gamble to throw him in now, um, and while I do think he offers something different, he's never really shown that he can replicate, you know, his performances for Sporting and/or and Portugal. Um, in uh, at Leicester, I think he's spoken about it before, saying that the the pace is so different, um, and it's something that quite a lot of players say when they come over. They sometimes do struggle to adjust to the pace yeah. to start with because you don't get as much time on the ball in England as you do. Um, in Portugal uh, for example um, but yes I think he, he does offer something different if Leicester feel like they need something different then they may have to take a gamble on it because I think we saw at Wolves at the weekend that how often it felt like Ndidi and Mendy were giving the ball away fairly often and obviously Ndidi gave it away right at the end which which um, cost them the, the goal in injury time um, so Yes, from that point of view, someone to perhaps keep the ball a little bit better. Although I think Mendy's very good at that in general. Um, He's not the most positive of midfield players no. on the ball. He's neat and tidy, isn't he? He'll play it square,
1: he'll play it back, he'll play triangles with his back four yeah. to create space. But then you don't very rarely to see him turning and looking and getting his head up and trying to pick out a pass. Yes,
0: and I suppose Silva probably is a little bit more forward thinking. Um, but at least Mendy is generally not. He's been out of form recently, I would say. But it generally, he's is, is composed yeah. on the ball, um, which I think Leicester just need... If they can just have someone to retain possession uh, in there a little bit and wait for the chance to get it to Madison forward or one of the wide players, um, and that's what they need. Because they d- sometimes it feels like Leicester need a little bit of creativity in that midfield too that sits in front of the defence. But you could also say that they should have enough creativity in the front four to get by without that, and you just need someone to link link the two. Um, so it, it's, a, it's a debatable one, but I think Powell is fairly set on Ndidi and Mendy. Do you think, though, that, that this rethink on Silva, yes, a ball has gone, that's
1: a big factor, but um, the form of Mendy and Ndidi, Ndidi seems to be struggling for form this season, yeah. certainly confidence. Mendy has had a couple of poor games. Yeah. Um, Matty James played in the FA Cup at Newport County and looked like he's going to need a few more games to get up to speed again yeah. after such a long time out. And then Kingy's on his way out. It's really just leave poor when you look at it like that, short of options for centre midfield. Now, one person he's suggested might be an answer is James Madison. And we looked at the stats on James Madison. Now It was a role he played at Norwich, didn't he? He played a lot deeper than he's been playing at well, City.
0: I, I, he played at... He dropped back a lot more. I'm not sure he, he played picked, this role but He picked the ball up from the back four and came, tried to start, yes, yes, he start moves deep, off.
1: Yeah. and um, We're looking at some stats, um, and now this, bearing this in mind, this is in his forward role yeah. uh, at City. That um, He's the fourth highest uh, in terms of pass conversion to, to chances in the Premier League. I think most Salah's at the top. I oh, know Gilford-Sugudson's top, most no Salah's in there, the third one uh, escapes my memory at the moment. But um, James Manson fourth in terms of, I think he's 690-odd passes, and he's created 40-odd chances in those, In those, and, and he's fourth-highest ratio. Now, is, do you think he's a realistic option to drop back and give them that creativity? Cause I'm thinking Jamie Vardy likes the ball early. He likes the ball over the top, and you can see him in games, He's going, nothing's coming his way, and he's, trying, he's having to check back and wait again and go again, and it's not coming early. Do you think Madison might be a, a, an option worth looking at? Um,
0: possibly, yes. I think in a game where Leicester are are not expected to do as much defending, then yes, I think it might be worth a home looking. game. Yeah, the, yeah, I think the ones they've struggled to to yes, break over. I th- the, yes, opposition. I think because I don't think in general uh, Madison has the the physical or defensive attributes to to play in that position um, I think what Leicester are kind of missing is what they had with Drinkwater um, so he like, could do both yes and, for that, and that's the thing Drinkwater could do both he could play those early forward passes to, to Vardy um, and almost became uh, almost telepathic I think between the two of them but also he got stuck in and he was mm. defensive in a sense um, not that he needed to especially be too defensive while with either Kante or Ndidi next to him um, so I think Yes, it might be worth trying, uh, giving Madison a go there. I think that would then help. That would probably give Vardy more support because then somebody else would have to play in the number 10 position. Um, we saw Damari Gray do that at Wolverhampton. Yes, we? and I think it, when Madison plays there, because he is looking to be the creator, you know, he, operates in, he tries to operate in the hole and find space and receive the ball to feet, back to goal, but he, he won't necessarily get himself in the box. Say the, he then plays the ball wide... Madison's not going to get himself in the box to help out he's, he's always going to hang back um, but I thought that with Damari Gray playing there Damari Gray was a lot more willing to try and get into the box um, which helps Vardy a little bit because I think we always say that Vardy's a little bit isolated um, in that, uh, but I don't, I don't think he's necessarily he's, he's isolated I think it's that he's because he's the, only, he's the furthest forward player and he's maybe the only one in the box at times the defenders know who to mark it's obvious who they've got to mark but if 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 you know, if, say if Gray's getting in there maybe Barnes getting down the left if the defenders have more players to think about then maybe there's going to be more space for Vardy. so maybe playing Madison deeper have another attacking player in, in there it, it might work well, the reason this came about was because we saw Madison was left out at Wolves at yeah.
1: Harvey Barnes came in for his uh, full Premier League debut um, took him a bit of a while to adjust it was a crazy game anyway really hard to judge him on that but Second half, he was um, one of the bright um, points. I thought yeah. for the, the way City came back in that second half. I'm just thinking, you know, if Madison comes in, you can have Barnes, you can have Gray, you know, you can have uh, all Brighton, you can have um, uh, Vardy and Madison all in the same side, and then suddenly you're looking like a very strong attacking outfit. Yeah, and
0: particularly with Ricardo and Chilwell in yeah. their the fullbacks as well. They're very um, attacking and they've got a lot of um, quality, particularly Ricardo, um, in terms of crossing it and setting up goals. Um, so yes I think it would be a lot more attacking and I think it's something that Leicester need in those games against um, the, the bottom half teams at home which they have traditionally struggled under Puel um, if that helps them get an early goal which I th- I still think is the big thing not conceding early and actually getting the early goal themselves and then they can play more on the counter-attack because they know the opposition have got to come on to them um, if that helps do that, then great. I think that's got to be the end. They've got to try and figure out how they can be the first ones to score. That is the big problem this season. I it? think it is, yeah. 15
1: of the 23 games they've got him behind him. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, if, they pref- if they're a side that prefer to play on the counter attack, that game plan goes out the window if they concede first. And we saw it in Walls where they conceded after just two minutes and then they were 2 0 down after 12 minutes and uh, suddenly it was just a massive uphill struggle. But credit to them the way they came back in that second yeah. half. They-, they showed some spirit, didn't they? And um, I know there's been reports that the players aren't playing for Claude. But it didn't look like it in the uh, second half at Wolves. where well, they've certainly played for themselves, or playing for the club, and playing for the fans.
0: Yeah, I think there's we've seen that often. Although we've, like we said, the conceded fifteen out of uh, conceded first and fifteen of the twenty three games. I think they have ranked eighteenth for first half. You know, if games stopped at, at half time um, But in the second half, they've won more points from behind than any other team. Admittedly, they've gone behind more often than most teams. Um, and again we saw that fight back straight after half time they they had a bit uh, they had a bit of energy um, i mean gray admitted that powell had, had a had a bit of a go at them at half time um and i know that's a, a regular feature i remember um a Newport striker saying that he heard powell having a go at his players through the dressing room walls uh, at Newport. um so i think he's obviously maybe galvanizing them um at, at half time it's just a shame they because you have to do it before the game it's one or the other isn't it with yeah. I mean, we, you know, some fans getting very
1: frustrated with the negative uh, tactics at home not, lack of uh, creativity and uh, struggling to beat sides down the, the bottom they go away at Wolves and admittedly they have to do this because they were 2-0 down but they went for it second half very much more attacking but then when they got themselves back to 3-3 how naive to go chasing yeah. it is it naive or is it brave if you know, if, if Nididia pulled off that pass and City had managed to create a chance to take it nick it in the end We'd have been saying how brilliant they were, but they
0: didn't, they was committed Chilwell was out of position. I think, think that's I think that was the the key bit, Chilwell being out of position. I don't think I think you can be I think you can be brave but still organised. Mm. Um, I didn't mind indeedy trying to, to send a pass down the right to get City in. But you know, I was a, a Sunday league fullback as a as a kid and the rule was if the ball's on the opposite side. As a fullback, you drop in. Mm. I don't think Chilwell needed to be bombing on at left back when the ball when Leicester were trying to attack down the right. He could have dropped in, maybe then Jimenez doesn't pull off to the right hand side. Um, well, that's where he ne- found the space. Yeah, Neves it? can't then play. Uh, I mean, Neves is a very, extremely good play. He then can't play the ball between Evans and Chilwell if Chilwell's caught it. But uh, and I think that was the the downfall. One of the best performing stories on our website all
1: week. There's been the controversy yes. over the, the winning goal, Jotter's winning goal, because he was stood like, 10 yards offside, wasn't he? Yeah. Struggling to, breathing out his backside, as they yeah. say, struggling to get back. Danny Simpson says he was lucky because he was just wandering back. It wasn't by design. But there, he's gained an advantage from being in an a, a, offside position. But, first phase, second phase, in, yeah. inactive, being active, under the current rules, it was a legitimate goal. Yeah, I think
0: uh, Peter Shilton was uh, explaining his thoughts on it. He said they should you know, looking to, to review it so that essentially because essentially Offside was brought in to stop goal hanging is that goal hanging in a sense I, I don't think it was deliberate by Jota. shot either. I think exactly. he, he was just tired um, but uh, uh, I think there's yeah I can see a certain side of frustration but again everybody knows the rules as they are um, Leicester need to be more aware of that and also strikers could probably exploit that a little bit more Um I think there's a there's clearly if you can you know you can hang offside, but if the ball's played wide to to a wide man who's onside, you can sort of create chances that way. Um, So I, in my view, it was just clever play by Wolves. Well, that's four defeats in five
1: in all competitions now. Three weekend because they're out the FA Cup. Mm -hmm. Then a run of really particularly tough away at Liverpool, home to Man United, who have won every game under Solskjaer. (laughs) And then away at Spurs, even though they've got a few injury concerns, that's a really tough run at the moment. Uh, finally, I'll just ask you about Tony Cotty's comments because we were sent his quotes yesterday. Um, he says all is not well down Leicester City, and he doesn't think Poole will go this season, but he thinks he might go in the summer. Uh, but he's also called for the fans to be a little bit more realistic in their expectation. What do you make
0: of those comments? Um, I think they're, they're well. They're probably spot on, really. I think that I think. Um, Whatever, if Powell is still the manager in the summer, which at the minute I think we expect him to be, um, I think there will be an assessment of where Leicester finish. Um, they will look, have they made progress uh, under Puel? Um Are they making uh, strides towards a, a, a grander plan? Um, and if the answer to those questions is yes, then maybe they'll stick with him. But if not, then we potentially see him leave. I don't think... I think that's a, a, a sensible way of, of looking at things assessing things in the summer after a season has concluded um, as for the realistic uh, comments um, it's hard yeah, to tell how the hard, fans I, as a collective
1: are actually thinking yeah I
0: think I think the fans are allowed to be ambitious yeah. um, and I think you know we were talking um, you know it was only a couple of seasons ago that they won the league and Ranieri told them to keep dreaming mm. um, which is a, a, a nice way of thinking about it. And you know, football should be escapist. It should be something where you can dream. Um, Powell is a realist and makes it clear at almost every opportunity that he thinks that um, the, the expectations are too high on Leicester. He said um, it in a TV interview. You watched it, didn't you? In yes. France. Yeah. Um, yes he's, I mean, he spoke about it at um, a uh, pre-match press conference a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and there was a little bit of negativity towards his reaction, but he's, he doubled down on that and, and said it again in a, on a French TV show. Um, but I think, I think Leicester should expect to challenge for seventh, not expect to finish there. I think expecting anything above that, well, is, yeah, is unrealistic. I mean, there's a
1: massive gap now between the top six and the rest of the division, isn't it? That's opened up yeah. since uh, Mourinho went to United, and United went on this incredible run. They've t- uh, created this gap away, now, yeah. and uh, it's yeah. going to be very hard to, to, to bridge that gap. So this season, everybody else is playing for seventh, aren't they?
0: Yes, I think so. And there are lots of teams that are all about similar quality. Have all spent a similar amount. All spend a similar amount on wages. I think there's, you know, there's six teams in there, and it really could come down to, you know, maybe even look. I mean, we saw a couple of seasons ago that Leicester drew one-one with Bournemouth on the final day, but had a, a goal wrongly disallowed for offside. If that goal had counted, they'd have finished three places higher in the league. And it's little things like that that can have such a massive impact. Um, so I don't think you can, they can be judged too harshly if they, then, if they say, finish 10th, but only a couple of points behind 7th. Um, I think as long as they remain in the battle for 7th and not fall into the, the group below that, the, the kind of relegation battling group, then I think it would be a, a, a satisfactory season, but we'll have to see how the, um, the hierarchy of the club assess things.
1: Well, thank you very much for joining us today. We've got loads of stories on Leicestershire Live. You can catch up with all the news from uh, Leicester City. Uh, The transfer market is still open as well, so we'll be giving you updates on what's happening there. And uh, next week, join us again on the next edition of Dilly Ding, Dilly Dong, when we preview the trip to Anfield.